Verdadores. A dedicated dad and long-distance parent, I'm raising two boys in two countries, and in each episode, I invite another dad to join me in a podcast adventure to talk about our journey as parents. We will discuss the messiness of modern dadding and the challenges of long-distance parenting. At the end of each episode, I will be checking in with psychologist and fellow dad Todd Kettner as he shares his insights into parenthood. My name is Blue, and I am a Dad Without Borders. So this week, I talked to Guy Jarvis, who is an old friend and colleague in the UK. As an English dad, we talk about his experience of parenting through the pandemic. We also talk about education, and I think Guy has some really interesting thoughts around that because he was once a teacher. We talk about his approach to parenting as someone who's worked in the outdoor industry for a long time and many other things. It was great to reconnect with Guy and it's a fun conversation, so please enjoy. And as ever, if you want to support the podcast, please do share with your friends, share with other dads that you know particularly, and go to Apple Podcasts, set a rating and a review that really helps the podcast get seen by more people. We're also available on Facebook and Instagram and easy to find Dad Without Borders. Guy, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's great to see you again. It's a brilliant idea. I I tell you what, I just, it's really good that, you know, your last one was with Pablo because as soon as I clicked onto it and I heard your two voices and you guys, it, I mean, it just, it just threw me back 15, 20 years. Well, 15 years, hopefully 15, yes. 20 years, anyway, whatever it was. Um, well, I, I mean, I can only guess that, um, you know, it hasn't really been tapped. It's like, it's such an obvious subject. And I, I don't recall a forum where blokes talk about fathering in that way or being a dad in that way. It's usually about supporting their partner with the kids or, or, or yeah I don't know but it, yeah yeah it was, it was just yeah, really yeah. interesting listening to especially Pablo I mean it was inspiring isn't it the things he's done getting out with them so your father you got two boys um yep. how old are the boys so Jamie is 11 and Sam has just turned eight 11 and eight and mm-hmm. happily married to Sal even after COVID well done and living in Shrewsbury, which is near North Wales, for any listeners that aren't in the UK. Is that fair to say? Yeah, right on the border. Uh, in fact, it's been my biggest frustration because Wales is five miles from my front door and it's been shut down for the last three months. So that's that. That's playland. Oh, wow. You really, you can't drive over? I'm allowed to drop, go across. Unless I'm going for work, I can't go into Wales. Yeah. Now, is that a, is that a, a sort of... A hard border edge at this point with covid not really it just means that if, if if a policeman stops you in wales and you've got an english license plate they'll um yeah oh, they'll have, they'll have right. a go at you but the border comes down on monday so uh we're, brilliant brilliant we're excellent and uh so in shrewsbury you are working for um do i get this right mountain training england is that the name now right. yeah so is mountain training england just for again any listeners that aren't in the uk who don't know about the outdoor world is that like the say in the canada the association of mountain guides is would that be the similar um it, well what, what we are is a training and accreditation national accreditation body so um we train and we qualify um uh, people in a range of um hill walking rock climbing and mountaineering qualifications yeah right so if you want to be an instructor guide yeah. take that path you have to come through mountain training england right that's right yeah gotcha. we are we are the national qualifications it's like doing your gcses and a levels in leadership in in the outdoors sort of thing right and so the boys are eight and 11 you're living in shrewsbury uh you've been working at home i guess for the full have you been working remotely for the full year yeah since covid yeah yeah i mean i've popped into the office a few times but Mostly I'm here. Yeah. Right. So that, and that's the whole family. Is Sal working as well? Yeah. 
Oh yeah. wow! So two two parents working at home plus the kids are homeschooling. Yeah, that sounds like a busy household. Yep, yep. She, I mean, Sal was lucky. She, she, her office is in Shrewsbury, and so she was able to to go in a lot more. Um, but, but for me, I was pretty much stuck here. Yeah. So are you at this point? Are you balancing a full day of work with a full day of making sure the kids are doing their homework, or I was, but not uh, the kids went. I've gone went back to school about uh, boys went back about four weeks ago. Right. So things are getting a lot better. They're <laughs> getting a lot easier. How was it with that? you know were you super strict on that or was there was there an expectation from the school that you know they wouldn't maybe you know be working in the same way I, that they would I don't in school? think the school knew what was going to happen because this was all so new and, and and foisted on us but at the beginning um we were strict in the sense that we would all start work at nine in the morning you know that was the rule we tried to sort of stick to the school day um but i knew because i i used to be a teacher myself i used to be a school teacher for 12 years so I, I knew we wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't be able to sustain it all day. It's not like you're in school and I couldn't supervise them in the same way. You know, I was doing, doing my job upstairs, they're downstairs. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it started well. But I think most parents in the UK would say they experience the same thing is, you know, it just slowly gets grinds, grinds, not quite to a halt, but it gets slower and slower because how do you keep your motivation up for you know months at a time just receiving work um online as a as a kid you know and sitting still really yeah really yeah and i feel like the school is such the social aspect is such a key part of that isn't it and then the other extracurricular activities they get to do playing with other children sports and so on it's crucial i mean you know for both adults and kids alike i think that the last year that we've had the hardest thing about it as long as you didn't get ill is is isolation and isolation is insidious it creeps up over on you over time sure you've got your family unit but for months on end you, you barely spoke to anybody else other than online and that's not normal that's not good for anybody yeah. um the, the now the, the funny thing is though i would say that the boys have fed better than the adults. And the reason they have um, is because is because of online, you know, because like say, say Jamie in particular, he, he likes using his games, you know, his online gaming, but he's chatting to all his mates while he's doing it. So uh, he's kind of getting his social and playing at the same time. So, you know, for that reason, I went a bit easy on him on the, on the screen over pandemic times because I could see how it was keeping him healthy. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't normally say that. It is a funny thing, isn't it? But that's good. That's great that he could do that. What about the eight-year-old? Did he have an outlet like that, or was it harder for him? So Sam's a very different animal. So um, he lives in his head a lot more than Jamie. You know, Jamie needs his friends and he needs his conversations. Sam's just completely different. So he's a lot happier on his own, and he but but he also needs a lot more from mum and dad, I suppose. Um, he might even make an appearance. Here he, here he is. I was just talking about you, Sammy. Say hello. hello. Hi, Sam. There he is. Hello. Here's eight-year-old. Um, so, yeah, you sort of managed, didn't you, through lockdowns, didn't you? Mm. It must boring, be so huh? great to be back with your friends, eh? Yes, yeah. 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 So, did you get to speak to many of your friends through lockdown? No. Not a lot, did we? No. And that wasn't good, but, yeah. but, you know, he still coped. He still coped very good at that. Do you guys have much of a backyard garden? We have, yeah, we, we're lucky. We've got a good garden. Well, for, for UK, we have a good garden, you know, yeah. um, there's not as much space in the UK as there is in Canada, but, uh, and, and the first kind of lockdown in the, a year ago, we, we had stunning weather in, in the UK. And so it was this kind of almost like a phony war where you were just, sitting at home in bright sunshine in your garden, reading these horrible things in the news, but thinking, oh, you know, this is all right. Yeah, um, right. And, and then, and then it, it got better and we had a good summer, but the, the really tough one was this kind of second wave, um, which of course started really in October and, you know, ups and downs and we're only just coming out of it now. And it's completely different in the dark months. That was really tough for everyone. Yeah, right, right. And was the, the kids were out of school in October? Did they come out of school? Yeah. Or was it January? I forget. Um, well, a bit of both. They 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 had to come out um, 
uh, before Christmas for a bit. And then obviously it was all locked down. They did one day of school uh, on the first day in January and then, and then it was shut down um, until, um, what are we now? Probably the end of mid-March, yeah. Wow, that's gotta be yeah. tough. Short days, can't go outside, not for very long anyway. That was horrible. Yeah. Oh, it really was horrible because, you know, at least if you can get outside and run around and be in the sunshine, and they, they, we've got a field like a big cricket pitch opposite us, which has sort of become the sort of the local community's village green, and everybody kind of meets up there, and that was that was fabulous um, in the spring and obviously through the summer, but then through the winter, you know, it's just it's just too cold uh, most yeah. of the time, or, or just just generally unpleasant. And so you just feel even more isolated. Yeah. Yeah. So well, thankfully, it's all behind us. Almost. 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 I think almost there. Yeah. Looking good here, but, you know, it's all. Yeah. Yeah. Touch I hope it keeps going. So just to set this up, although we've already had a, had a little check in there about the COVID, um, but just to backtrack a little bit and set this up, um, we know each other from UCR, which is Undercover Rock. And... I don't know if it was the original climbing wall. I think it used to have the tagline, the original plywood climbing wall in, in the UK. I'm not sure how true that is, um, yeah, but a thriving community. It was amazing. I mean, it's, it's original. It, it started in 1992 and it opened within a month of uh, the foundry in Sheffield. And the two, the two climbing centres became the sort of um, vanguard of, of, of purpose-built climbing walls uh, in the country. I know others might lay claim, but they they were they were sort of regarded as the two uh, purpose-built ones, you know. And there were obviously other other ones before that. But um, yeah, uh, it was just the most amazing place to work. Uh, from, from the early days, I, I started um, in, the, in the late 90s and uh, had nearly 15 years there, actually. Um, and, and yeah, it was fantastic. And, and in the early days, <laughs> I always felt I, I was as much running a nightclub as I was running a, a climbing center. It was, that is, that it was is very true. You know it. You know it. Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, what a fun place. And I got to say, looking back, and it's been really nice to reconnect. Pablo was on the episode last week. Um, we were talking about just then. And um, yeah, it's really nice to look back. I have such fond memories of those times. I think we even did a climbing trip to Spain. And yeah. when I think about it, now looking back, I mean, I would have been well, sort of late twenties, somewhere in the early thirties. But I never really had any plan to have a family. I didn't at the time. I couldn't have imagined any of us back then having kids and settling down, and sort of taking that sort of more stable sort of like adult adulting. I would say. Um, I would say you seemed a bit more adult because you had your own home. You had a mortgage back then too. But did you at that point? Do you think? You, did you ever foresee this happening? You being settled down with two kids? No, no, and I, and I probably would. It depends on what year you call me in, but in the early days, I would have actively said I, I, I didn't want it because I was enjoying myself so much. I was having a really good time. I had what I thought was a really good job in a really good community. I was going out having all sorts of adventures with all sorts of really cool guys, you know, uh, like yourself. And uh, we, we're all we're all in it together, weren't we? You know, we all, we're all kind of wanted the same things. Um, I didn't have a mortgage at the beginning at all. I'm, I'm a really late developer in many ways. I never never had a mortgage till my 40s. And that was only when I met Sal and we, we you know, got one together. Up to that point, I'd spent the first four decades of my life. Now you say that, I remember, because I feel like you rented for so long that we did the math on it once and you could have owned the house by that time. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I remember people saying that to me, but um, I, I had other ways of you know, trying to look after the money. But um, what it did mean was I had a rucksack and I could, it was half packed all the time. And if I wanted to go off and do a couple of months somewhere on the other side of the world, I, I could just drop things, um, which yeah. was great. And also, even though I was working, you know, kind of, well, I, I ended up running the place um, Undercover Rock, you know, because we were, we were all climbers first and if you like businessmen second, um, there was a real understanding, you know, that um, if we needed to go have a bit of adventure and we could make it work, we, we could do that. So that was, yeah. That was good. So, so how it didn't that encourage you to settle down? <laughs> it didn't encourage, it's true. We weren't surrounded by our peers that were kind of pushing us in that direction. That's for sure. 
there was more, it was more about building a van that you could go and live in Spain for for a month kind of thing. Um, and an amazing and inspiring community too. I mean, Tim Emmett, who's one of the he's a mountain hardware athlete, now lives here too. He's on the coast. Yep. So he's a little far away. I don't see much of him. Um, and then Hazel Finley, of course, has done really well because her dad was part of the Bristol scene. So we, she was very much in there as well. And it's been, yeah, like looking back, it like we, what a community to come from or how much inspiration. And many of us still trying to find the right balance, I think, with the climbing and being parents now. So how much has that shifted for you? Um, and with that, actually, the question I have attached to that is coming to it all, later on in life. Because I had my first kid when I was 39, mm. um, second when I was 44. I forget the age when you would have had kids the first time well, around. Well, Jamie, I had Jamie. I had Jamie. Sally had Jamie when I was 44. So I left it pretty late. And then um, Sam's three and a half years after that. Right. So, yeah, I'm an old dad. Yeah. yeah, similar to me. So do you, like, did it come at the right time where you feel like you lived that life, where you could yeah, happily I, segue? I, I did because... Um, uh you know in many ways i've always wanted to stay being peter pan but i i can i can honestly say you know what i had i had four and a half really good decades of doing doing that sort of individual stuff yeah um and also you you, you just know so much more so you're ready to be a to be a dad i guess yeah yeah i feel i really burnt off that i mean it's still there you know, I'm looking forward to the, we've been talking about it, like doing a couple of road trips that more, more like a few days with a two-year-old as opposed to, you know, taking off for months at a time. But it's really hard when they're really little. And I feel like, yeah, I can kind of look back and I can sometimes get FOMO, the old fear of missing out if I'd spend any time on social media. But yeah, I feel really settled and happy to be at this stage. I got to say. That's the benefits of being an older dad. Although sometimes I feel it can tire you out when you have the, when there's the lack of sleep. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think, you know, I, I still want to go and, and, and do things, but what's great now is I'm, the, the boys are getting to the age where I can start doing it with them. And I'm really looking forward to that, that developing. And you mentioned um, Hazel's dad, Steve, Steve Finley was you know, a good friend to us. And, I remember I was really concerned, you know, when, when Sal got pregnant, I was thinking, oh my God, this is, this is it. This is the end of my, <laughs> my adventuring life or, you know, I'm se se severely going to get clipped at the least. So uh, yeah, I took counsel with Steve because Steve is a, you know, world renowned mountaineer really. Um, and, uh, and obviously he'd been a very successful dad in his way. And I sort of said, well, Steve, you know, can you, can you give me some advice? You know, if I'm going to become a dad, I'm really worried, you know, I'm going to, Gonna, gonna gonna lose lose the life I had and he said well the, the main thing I'll tell you is to remember is that the thing about having kids is it just gets better just gets better and better as it goes along and yeah I, I know there are you know some parents who love the little baby stage and all the rest of it but I think he instinctively knew that that wasn't my my bag um that I was going to like them as they as they get older and, and he's absolutely right every year yeah yeah, I just think you get even more out of them. It's fabulous. They're great. It is true, isn't it? There is a bit of a magic. We're in the magic phase of having the two-year-old where he's getting all his words for the first time. Mm. But you, you're right. You're, you're not going far from the home. I mean, some people do. I'm not to say he's been on planes. He's been over to the UK. But it's, it's tiring. And it's slow, it is slower. And you have, you have to have a lot more patience. But I think Seth, who's seven, yeah, we can go to the skate park. I can take him canoeing. We can run down the river. Yeah, there's a lot more freedom with that. So what were the challenges for you becoming a dad then? Was it, I'm not a baby dad. I'll be the first to say that. Like, it's great to have a small child, but I find it really challenging until they're about 18 months. And then I'm, I love that. I actually love that phase. But yeah, what was the challenge for you? Well, I'm very similar. I, I, I knew, <laughs> it sounds awful. I knew that. That wasn't the great attraction to me, you know. Sal, Sal loved having them young, um, and I, tongue in cheek, I said to her, "Right, I, I used to be a secondary school teacher." I said, "Look, you know, uh, I know nothing about kids under the age of eleven, but once they once they get to secondary age, they're all mine. It's fine. I can cope with dropping teeth before <laughs> that. I've, I've got it wired. Don't worry. I've spent ten thousand hours in a classroom. I know I know how to deal with them, but I really don't know how to deal with them as as, as little people." 
Um, yeah, but but of course you learn. But it, no, I mean, it, yeah, go back to what Steve Finley said. It, it, to me, it just got better and better. You know, when they start to talk, oh wow, that's really interesting. When they start to, you know, charge around a bit, oh that's really that's really interesting. And then they start getting interested in other things and interacting and learning. And you can, you know, you can get involved with them. They love it. But it just keeps going. That's my point. You know, so I remember say when the boys first learned to ride a bike. So now we can go off on little bike rides. Well, of course, now that's extended into with Jamie, you know, mountain biking over the local hills here and going on proper trails or could be going wild camping or what have you. And, you know, suddenly you've got a, a buddy to go out and- Yeah, do I was going to say, exactly. Yeah. With, you know, and, and of course that's just going to extend, which is which is great. Yeah, totally. Did you- Eventually that outstrip me. <laughs> that's what happens, isn't it? And I, yeah, I'm really excited by that. I'm excited to be overtaken by my kids, I think. Mm. Um, so did you like, so in those early stages, you, you checked in with Steve, but I'm, I don't know that Steve would have a lot of um, advice about dealing with a baby day to day. Like, did you look yeah. at books or did you reach out to your parents? Were they involved much or friends in the community? Um, or figure it out? Yeah, a bit of, bit of figuring it out, um, you know, antenatal classes, yes. Um, it's amazing how you, you just deal with it, you know? You get you get used to it so quickly, although it is exhausting in the early stages. Um, and you know, Sal knew what she wanted to do, so I just tried to support her as much as possible. I, I, I very much felt um, my role was to support Sal rather than to be, you know, looking after the baby so much so that she could support at least first time round. Um, uh, and then second time round is is interesting because I remember going into the hospital, well, back to the hospital after Sal had given birth, for, when, when Sam was born, um, but bringing in Jamie. Okay, so it's the first time Jamie, the now elder brother, who of course has been the only the only child in the family up to the point, suddenly meets his younger brother. Uh oh, and I could tell that he was not comfortable right because he realized you know it was no longer going to be the center of the universe and that's really obvious so we we kind of anticipated that and um we got him a little present um so that he could you know open it up this is for jamie and i remember taking him off to us because all the family were cooing around mum and then you know and little baby sam and i remember taking jamie off to a separate room away from all of that saying look here open up this present first of all and as he was opening it, I said to him, listen, just because you've got a little baby brother doesn't mean that you're now number two, right? You're really, really special. And, and I said, mum's going to be really busy with Sam for a bit. She's not going to be able to trust him. So you and me are going to have a really good time together, right? And and we're going to do loads of stuff together. So, and we, Sal and I had agreed on that so that the thing was, I, I just want to make it really clear to, to Jamie that he wasn't going to be in any way sidelined and we became a proper team for a while um because sal is obviously was totally preoccupied with sam you know sam's hanging off a boob half the time yeah there's nothing she could she could she could do for jamie um but i think that yeah is, that was really important to sort of reassure jamie and it's been fine ever since did you find it more i found it much more relaxing was maybe relaxing is the wrong word but with the second child I didn't feel so on edge. And maybe I'm the second time around doing more of what you're talking about, which is supporting mum. And I feel like the first time I was so kind of caught up with, I don't know, doing all the dad stuff like working and, you know, how mm. things around the house. Plus I was trying to get involved in helping with the nap times and all that stuff. I was kind of caught in between these two worlds really. And the second time I felt a bit a lot more relaxed and trusting of the whole process. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that we, as it were, had it the way around we did because <laughs> Jamie was quite an easy baby. You know, he, I remember going out for dinner with Sal and sticking him under the table, you know, in a car, and we just have a three course meal together and you know, he's all right. You know, he'd just sit there gurgling away or, or go to sleep. If only really? baby. Of course, naively, we thought number two is going to be just like that. Yeah. No way. <laughs> really? So uh, Sam, um, who you've just met, he, decided before he was even born that he would wedge himself in sideways not even breech birth but sideways right this would this you know 50 plus well 100 years ago would be well 
it doesn't bear thinking about. Yeah. So um, he, he had to come out the sunroof. So he was he was booked in for a certain time. And, you know, it's like, when would you like your baby delivered? Oh, we'll have it at two o'clock in the afternoon. Thank you. So you know, out he came by, by C-section. But basically, the point is, that's how he started. And that's how he carried on with the rest of his life. So he, he was not as easy as Jamie was. And having two young kids, you know, under the age of five, is not double the work, it's triple the work, because you constantly, whoops, pull, pulled in different, you know, directions. So yeah, yeah. yeah, for a while, that was pretty, pretty exhausting. But I bet it was. So what were, the other, what were the differences? It's just like, he's not going down for a, do you want to grab a cloth for that? It's all right. It's on a, it's on a hard table. Um, no, he's, um, <laughs> it's just, it's just, Sam's just never keeps still, you know, oh, really? Whereas Jamie would be really chilled, but, um, you know, still Sam thinks that a sofa is a trampoline, you know, or I remember for, for, for years, um, after he sort of learned to walk, I would say to people, well, of course, Sam's, um, Sam can't walk. And they'd look at you like, oh, you, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. But no, no, what I mean is he, he doesn't walk. He just runs everywhere. <laughs> it's just hyper. <laughs> so he was, uh, he was a bit more high maintenance. Yeah. Right. So how did the, how's the relationship when they're young between the two of them? Can they, I guess there's a three-year gap, which is quite a decent yeah. size gap at that young age, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, they, they, they grew up and grew towards each other. Um, as they as they get older and 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 now they're kind of really good really good mates yeah but there is that gap it's definitely an older younger brother relationship but it's a really nice one so when you're parenting those guys and you're thinking of activities outside of school can you do the similar activities together or do you find you have to very much you know uh cater for each one separately there are there are there, there, there's, it's like two overlapping circles. So there there are some activities you can do together. So like Sal took them down to the park um, this afternoon, and um, you know they had a friend, and they kind of <laughs> shared the friend, and they they can sort of you know find things to do together. But then there are you know things Jamie wants to do away from Sam, and vice versa, um, because you know they've got different interests, and they are they just are different ages. You know, I mean it, Jamie can come out uh say mountain biking with me in a way that sam couldn't do but then i'll go on a different kind of bike ride with sam right so do you end up with you and sal how do you manage your time during the week because obviously you're working you know i don't know if you're doing monday to friday so if you just got the weekend do you guys do you kind of set section it up in a way that you can you know you have a bit of time with one boy she has time with the other boy and then you switch it up or do you do everything as a family or is it just figure it out week to week yeah, it's kind of it's kind of figure it out i mean it, it we, we, we check it i think very important we, we kind of check in sal and i what what we want as 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 adults and then we check in what are the boys going to do and then i haven't really sort of thought about it in such a structured way but yeah that is really what happens so then we kind of work out how the weekend's going to work you know so it might be oh it's a really beautiful weekend we're all going to go away for the weekend we're all going to get in the van and we're going to go off to wales you know and do something or it might be Sal goes, I, I want to work in the garden. And I say to her, well, I want to go for a bike ride. Um, well, OK, while you work in the garden, then that means the boys can be in the house doing something. But equally, we want the boys to go out. So we'll go for a walk on the Saturday and I'll do my ride on the Sunday. You just. Yeah. You know, Give and take. Negotiate these things. Which brings me to a question, actually, that just popped into my head. Do you how much has it helped you having been a teacher, but also an instructor? and also facilitating teamwork and leadership courses, uh, your ability to communicate effectively with Sal. Is that something that's grown over time or do you, do you think some of that's helped? Um, yeah, I mean, Sal's a, Sal's a bright woman who, who, who knows what she wants as well. And I, I, I think, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to think that I treat her like, um, you know a client or a pupil or yeah totally <laughs> you're slightly less conscious of your uh um of the techniques should i say you're using like like you would be with with, with groups and I, I think that's that's fair enough but um yeah you know we, we've been together god near, well 18 years now so um you don't always have to agree do you know what i mean um, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. We, 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 we're sort of 
big enough and old enough to to cope with that and um uh yeah you know you just negotiate your way through life don't you as you as you do normally so yeah yeah i've got better at it i mean you're right it's not the same as a relationship but i sometimes you know realized my ability to sort of step back sometimes actively listen maybe do some negotiation you know and that kind of thing um in a way that yeah i do i do lean into that without knowing you know i'm not thinking about it when i'm doing it but i'm thinking oh i kind of and with the kids too i do very much feel like i'm pulling out of my sleeve um various party tricks to get the two-year-old to get his jacket on to distract him so i can get him out the door into the car without a screaming fit and i you know there's definitely elements of that outdoor education experience that i use and again maybe not consciously i'm doing it but then when i think about it sage is like how did you know to do that and i'm thinking i i don't know i guess it's probably just no you're absolutely right and i mean i think i was thinking more of sally there and i I don't i wouldn't want to treat her the way i treat (laughs) but but the the boys yeah you do you absolutely do use those techniques that are just second nature to you because you've been doing it loads of times you know there's there's lots of little things you do and phrases you use and body language you use that just makes things happen the way you need them to happen yeah. yeah yeah i i love the little bit of mad it seems like it's a, l- a little bit of magic but then you, secretly you know that it's this 20 years or plus or whatever of doing the outdoor ed stuff um so when you go what so when it comes to activities obviously you know i assume still an avid climber we haven't seen each other for a few years so i'm wondering uh, I, mean, I, I you, you've got me in a way at my lowest end only because of lockdown i mean i, I, I climbed I haven't climbed this year yet, but I'm I'm just about to. Um, but um, yeah, probably you know, late last summer was probably the last time I actually rock climbed. But that's not normal. It's not been a normal sure. year. Yeah. Yeah. Normally, I'd be trying to get out as much as I can. Yeah. So can I you? Say much as I can. I'm <laughs> I'm a dad now. I can. Well, that's why. Yeah. That's where I'm going. When when I knew you. Yeah. You know, but with the yeah. kids though, do you have you introduced them to climbing? Is that something you can yeah. do as a family? Yeah, yeah. So um because we still got, you know, believe it or not, some nice little um crags around Shrewsbury that are quite good for taking kids to. And um yeah, we definitely had family trips to 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 some crags. Um so Jamie, as I say, he's now eleven and you know, he can do it, but he one thing I I don't want to do is force something on on any of them and so he'll sort of do it but i think he can sort of take it or leave it he's, he's, he prefers being on the mountain bike for example so that's great you know and they're both good at, good walkers um but sam's really interesting from the age of five or six we took him to the climbing wall first which is you know kind of obviously it's just a monster it's just like a ferret up a drain pipe you know straight to the top yeah bouncing around and um the climbing wall shut down at the moment, which is really sad. And he's he's basically been badgering me all all year. You know, when can we go? Um, but I did, for example, I did take him out um, on a scramble. We got some rocky sort of ridges, small things um, in, in the Shropshire Hills, and it was it was bad weather. It was a couple of weeks ago, and it was kind of stormy and windy and everything. I mean, he flipping ran up there and just kept on dragging me over these things. You know, so he he's, I think he's. Um, yeah, I think he's a bit of a natural. Right. So you're not into the like we're we're going climbing no matter what. You're going to enjoy it. So when did you in, introduce him to climbing? Because I found with my oldest boy, who's I mean that you know I think all kids love scrambling around on yeah. some level, climbing trees and things. But I found unless it's indoors, and I don't want to shortchange him here because actually if i got him on the right crag outside maybe he would get he could get into it and get up something but for the most part he's comfortable indoors outside yeah he'd rather be on a bike he'd rather be on running around in the woods i think that's normal and i and i think um you know it, it's a it's a it's a real obvious pitfall to try and get um a young person into what i call technical climbing too soon it's 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 not really the, the skill set or, or the aptitude that they're likely to have at that age. I think, as you say, scrambling, weaseling, um, 
you know, the more sort of mucking about playful way of uh, exercising is, is much more effective at, at the sort of age your kids are at. Uh, first time I put a harness on Jamie was probably, actually, I do remember one quite young, but I'll, I'll, I'll move on to about, probably was about seven or eight, but I, I deliberately chose a, a, a low angle slab oh, so yeah. that he'd be comfortable and relaxed. It's the, 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 you know, the first crag that you introduce him to is crucial. You know, just because you want to climb on it, don't, don't, don't throw them on it. Um, but yeah, he's climbed in North Wales, local crags, some little crags in the Alps, things like that, and that's and that's fine. Um, but as I say, I, I just, I don't think it's going to be his thing. Whereas I think Sam, uh, I think I just think he's he's just naturally right going to take to it. So if you and, do, and that's, that's the thing that they're, they're they're so different. You know, right. I think any parent who's had more than one child realizes that they, they come out really different. Yeah. So if you're doing a fat, have you done any holiday trips to somewhere where you can mix climbing with other activities? Is that a thing you would do as a family? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, well, we've had, a, we've had a two or three trips to the Alps, you know, uh, in the summer with them. Um, you know, we take them down to Pembroke, um, North Wales, lots of trips to North Wales, Peak District. Yeah. You know, no, I'm and, thinking and when, you, when you go to, let's say you go to the Peak District and you go to one of your favorite gritstone crags, you know, you might be thinking, oh, yes, there's this route and that route. They're looking at it completely differently. They're looking at it as sort of, oh, you know, pirates in caves or, um, you know, what's what's around the corner or what have you. So, um, yeah, you've got to start thinking a little bit more like a like a child rather than thinking, oh, I must get them into what I'm into. I didn't get into climbing until I was a um, teenager, really a student, you know. So why should I? expect them to have the same reaction that I had when they're just young yeah. kids. It's too so much. How do you manage that then if you want to climb with Sal or or if either of you want to climb? Because you need, if you're doing routes, you need a second person. Do you go with other families? I I think I have kind of decided that fairly early on that I've sort of separated my my climbing time from family time. I, I generally don't mix it. So in other words, if we're going to a crag to climb with the kids it will be a kids crag and kids routes and that and that's the focus it's not so dad can get a, you know a route in because i think that way tension lies I, I mean you may be you may be lucky but it sounds not massively into climbing she'll happily do a little climb and belay but you know it's not the reason that, that she would go there so no I, I i'll go off and do my climbing with a friend and this again this is all part of that sort of weekend negotiation and then you know you come back and do something with the kids and I'd rather do something hundred percent with the kids and something that they really want to do as well than try and sort of blur it with, with my interests. It's that's a good I, point. I, I think both, both sides can come off feeling a bit dissatisfied. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah I've been thinking about that because well, there is one thing where I'll take an activity like skateboarding up uh, so I can hang out in the skate park with my kid and we have fun together. Yeah. I'm going to take up in a more serious way, I say more serious way. I've never been into biking. Not that I don't like it. It's just another activity. And when you're kayaking and climbing and skiing and you already have it. So I'm going to get into those things, but I also want him to see me doing the stuff I'm really passionate about mm. with, so that he can see me, you know, in, in those moments of complete joy and like, you know, so I can kind of share that with him, whether he picks it up or not is another thing, but at least I'd like to see him, you know, at least have a go and experience, you know, have an experience with me. Skiing's good. Skiing, he loves. My older boy absolutely loves it. And that's mm. been my passion for a long time as well, you know, alongside climbing. And so I'm lucky there. I think he's going to grow into that. I got to say the two-year-old is, is not really fallen into skiing too much yet, but he is only two. Early days. Exactly. Um, so do you have um, a, like a community of dads? Do you have like anywhere you can go to sort of check in, you know, maybe get some advice or kind of, you know, get a bit of a release, brainstorm. Um, when, when, um, when the kids were younger and particularly when I was down in um, Bristol, um, I had two or three really good mates who uh, st still, got, <laughs> still got them, but they, they had kids, they were older than me anyway, and therefore they were further down the, you know the, the the dadding path and um because i was talking to them regularly and they were both climbing partners as well and biking partners 
Um, so we chat about the kids all the time and I still do actually, you know, if I pick up the phone to them. So I'd say that was probably the biggest influence there. Cause yeah, when I was at UCR, there was no one at UCR who seemed to have kids. That's the thing, isn't it? And when I had my first over here too, same thing. Like yeah. I didn't know any dads around no. that I could like lean on to, no. which is hard. It's hard not to have somebody that you can bounce ideas off. Yeah. And I think in those early days, that's really important because, because mums pretty quickly get a network of mums quite yeah. rightly. Yeah. Um, but not so much for dads. Um, but I used it, yeah, existing friends. And, and the nice thing about that was, is I'd known them for a long time and you sort of, in a way, have been on that journey a little bit with them before it becomes your journey too. You know, I knew them and their kids and, and um, actually, you know, been out on adventures with, with some of their kids too. So that, that was great. Um, then when you get more further on down the line and, and, you know, both boys are at school now, it's, um, it's more about parent, you know, the, the playground parents that you, that you chat yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I feel your community does shift a little bit as you got kids. It's hard sometimes to be, I don't know if you found this, but sometimes making arrangements or with some people that don't have kids, I can, I find is a little bit challenging. Sometimes they just don't get it. No, <laughs> they don't, yeah. You know, yeah, the loveliest, I mean, I've got, you know, obviously I've got fantastic friends who don't have kids, um, but I learned fairly quickly, you know, most parents love talking about their kids, yeah, but don't don't talk about it. I mean, you can, you can kind of introduce them and chat about a couple of things, but move the conversation on because it, it, ain't, it ain't going in, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the same thing. They don't get it, and why should they? It's, it's, it's unique. I didn't get it until the day Jamie was, plonked in my hands do you know what I mean it's like yeah okay my life's just changed and unless you've been through that I can't see how you could yeah totally no that is true isn't it so if you do you guys have any like you say you lean on Sal or not maybe lean on Sal is the wrong way to put it um but you're there to support Sal she had sort of a vision of how she wanted things to go but do you guys have any kind of parenting philosophy all right you know given you're a teacher as well like is there any particular approach you have yeah, well, this is where I can hear Sal on my shoulder because um, this is where we were chuckling when I knew this question was going to come up because Sal, well, as not only would she say she's right, Sal's more um, structured, I would is a, is, is a polite way to put it, yeah, which I don't think is uncommon with the mother um, in, in how she approaches um, parenting. And I, funny enough, if anything, my teaching experience has made me even though you know I taught in some fairly 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 tough comp comprehensive schools um if anything I've become more relaxed about how young people grow up and develop and you know you, it's really important that you give them all the love and positive regard unconditional positive regard that's a classic one isn't it uh and and encourage them uh in their interests and so forth but uh, I wouldn't say I'm a pushy parent. I don't think Sal's a pushy parent, but she's she's um, she's got probably clearer boundaries than perhaps I have. Oh, so you when you're talking structure, you, mm. so yeah, what is that around? Like well, to give an example, you know, bedtime eight o'clock in Sal's book. Whereas for me, I'm like, well, you know, I can flex that a bit depending on what's going on and and and, and how we're all doing, you know, and <laughs> that's it that's that, no, I, that yeah i'm probably on the i'm i think i'm a blend at this point but i'm with her there's a couple of things i'm with her on uh nap times i've always been you know that's the nap time i'm probably a little bit more laid back now than i was for sure with the yeah person. we're at different we are at different stages and yeah of course you know jamie is a very mature 11 year old who, i'm not saying he gets to everything he wants but you do have to start listening a little bit to what they want and a bit more negotiation comes in. Right. But there still has to be a line. Right. Yeah. 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 Certainly with the young ones and you're right. We're still not quite, I mean, Seth's catching up to Sam cause he's, he's going to be eight in July. And, uh, but yeah, with bedtimes, I guess with him, it's getting a little later, but at the moment, certainly when they're young, seven o'clock or seven thirty is just like, I definitely lock it down. Now the reason is, is cause I need me time. Yeah, yeah, I've got a bouldering wall in the basement, and I <laughs> I just need some time to uh, to flex. 
or whatever I need to do in the basement. Or, you know, it's just, it's that sanity for me. Do you find that? Do you need that time to yourself or you're okay to. Um, Because my boys are a bit older, they, I can leave them in a room and they will, you know, entertain themselves a little bit um, in, in, you know, another room for me if necessary. Uh, but when they were younger, yeah, you you absolutely have to carve that time out. That is that is true, uh, and therefore things do have to be um, a bit more regimented. Yeah, yeah. And are you so get and with the um, this sort of uh, maybe a stricter approach, if you like, how are you guys with the academic stuff? Are you because I, I feel in the UK from a very early age, they're pushing the math and the grammar, um, oh, yeah. the reading, the writing. It's very different yeah. here. Everybody yeah. gets their here as, uh, you know, when they're ready, I would say. But in the UK, it's much more of a push. Do you find that raising the kids? Because Pablo, uh, Pablo's, as he was saying, he sees it a little differently coming from Spain. Uh-huh. Um, well, this is where, yeah, I, I think my experience as a teacher, I can be a slight counterfoil to the school. The school we have here, which is next to the house, by the way, which is very handy, um, is an excellent school and gets, you know, excellent results for a, for a primary school. But you're absolutely right. There's a lot of hothousing of um, um, basically reading, writing and, uh, and arithmetic. Yeah. And, and I understand how you need your basics, but um, I think that has to be tempered with um, you know, a love of learning and allowing allowing people some, you know, latitude to explore things they're interested in. So um, Sam uh, has recently got really interested in fossils, and as I was a geologist, you know, that's been great. So you know, he gets he gets um, you know fossils for Christmas, and I got him a Bunsen as I was a science teacher. I got him a eight year old. I got him a Bunsen burner and a whole load of whole load of things to burn. And so we have we have science lessons on the kitchen table occasionally. Um, but I equally think, I really believe that in um, people's innate uh, ability to learn, and we all do it slightly differently and at different rates. So if you push too hard, you'll, you'll, you'll create a problem. Yeah. What you've got to do is tune yourself to where they're going. And one of, one of the things with Sam was doing pretty well in, in many areas in school. But he had a real issue with um, reading at the beginning of lockdown. Well, reading and writing, frankly, was his kind of his weakness. So um, I'd say writing is still something we're working on a bit. But we, we we cracked the reading partly by accident, partly by design, in that I thought I'd take the approach that um, you've know, got to get him interested rather than you know forcing him to read stuff. And of course, at school, you get given a book and told to read it, more or less. Um, so because it was lockdown and he was in the house the whole time. I would um, say, right, well, find a book because he had loads of books, you know, that we had. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a cartoon book, whatever you, and just read a bit because I was sitting here working, doing my work. And then when you've read uh, a chapter, come to me, I'll stop working and you can tell me all about it. And he loved it because he could read anything he wanted and he could then come to dad and chat about it. Yeah, it gets and your it, attention, doesn't he? Yeah, it was kind of a reversal of what, what happens at school. And, um, you know, I don't want to big myself up saying I'm better than all the teachers there. It was, it, it was, it was as much a surprise to me to him. But we found after about a month or so, he had, he'd got completely hooked on reading. And now he just reads all the time. So fantastic. So but the point about that is you, you, you've got to find the motivation. You've got to find the motivation. It's so much more important than anything else. And if their motivation is they want to read comic, comic stories or they want to... Um, uh, I don't know, <laughs> read a car maintenance manual. It doesn't matter. It's just reading, you know. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter if they're reading the back of the cereal packet. Whatever turns them on, and you just got to find anything, anything that's an interest. And it doesn't matter if it's about poops and farts, which he found really funny at the time, you know. Let them do it. Um, and, and it builds up the confidence, and then boom, it's off. Yeah. So, so, you know, I'm, I'm more interested in education than almost anything because it's always been my, my profession. But that doesn't mean I want to ram it down someone's throat, least of all my kids. Yeah, yeah. So that's a positive pandemic story as well, eh? It's one of the positives. <laughs> yeah, yes. there you go. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that was a positive. And uh, that's, I know it's sweet to hear too, because he's, yeah, pretty much the same age as Seth. I'm not sure what year he'd be. I think Seth's year two. 
Um, it's different okay. here. So Seth was here and it's like, it's slightly out of whack. So sometimes you get confused, but he's year two. So he's seven, he's going to be eight in July, but same thing with reading and writing. He's getting much better now, but he went through a bit of a lull and he wants to be a paleontologist when he gets older. Awesome. Him and Sam should meet. They'd love yeah, each other. Totally. Uh, well, it's either that or he wants to be a soccer star or he should say football, a football star. It's either, either or a little different. I think right. paleontology might have more luck. That's all right. Jamie was convinced that he'd be a premiership footballer for uh, quite a few years, but I think well, it's dawning on him that perhaps he hasn't put in enough practice already. <laughs> they, they sound like two peas in a pod. We'll have to get them together for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. So um, if you could go back and give yourself some advice when you before you're about to become a father the first time, is there anything you look back and say, oh, I wish I'd done this or wish I'd known about this? Oh, that's tricky. I mean, I, I, the one thing I've always kept was that Steve Finley thing about it, it does get better and better. So, you know, at times when, you, when, you, when you're wiping the nappy thinking, oh, God, you know, it's the hundredth nappy you've just wiped in the, I don't know, in some toilet somewhere. Um, it, 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 yeah, from a dad's point of view, it does just get better and better. Um, I, I would say as much as best you can, I'd say relax and, um, you know, listen to your kids trust trust in them growing up you know they clearly parents are there to protect them from from the worst as it were but um they don't have to pursue exactly the interests that you have and I, I i do think that it's a it's a it's an innate tendency for people to want to develop in positive ways if you just let them so giving them sure as many experiences as possible and then they can choose but They'll do the learning. You don't have to force it down them as long as you keep exposing them to all those opportunities. Yeah. That's really good. I like that. I think I like the relax. And it's not easy to do when you're a first time dad sometimes. No. And I, and I, I, you know, I'll, I'll freely admit that the smaller they are, the less confident I am. But now, now the boys are the age they are and, and increasing. Um, I'm more and more confident, funnily enough. And I think a lot of people probably um, approach the teenage years with great trepidation, and, you know, with all the stories of teenagers going off the rails. But I'm really looking forward to it. So we'll see. I'm with you. I'm with you. No, it's going to be a fun adventure. And, um, and it's been really fun to uh, reconnect. Uh, it's been a few years, but uh, now we're both dads. And it turns out we have boys very similar age and really similar cool. interests too, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks so much for uh, for joining me today on the podcast. Right, it's great to chat. It's great to catch up. Cool. All right, mate. We'll be in touch. Awesome, definitely. Yeah, that was really great. So it's at this point in the show that I introduced Todd Kettner, and we have a professional debrief about some of the topics that came up in the conversation. Now, I'm excited that, as well as Todd, Catherine Williams, who's a clinical social worker, will now be joining the team as well. And over the next few episodes, we will be hearing from her. But this week, I needed to take a pause. And on May the 27th, the Kamloops Indian Band released a press release and informed the world that 215 children children's bodies were found in a mass unmarked grave at a residential school in Canada now not to take the focus away from what I'm trying to do with the podcast and not to make a political statement it's not about that this is a tragedy that is a day-to-day -day reality in Canada um, and it's the impact of colonization and the residential schools, which are a huge part um, of that colonization, have had a massive impact on indigenous communities. And the intergenerational trauma that that causes, it's not a history. This is something that's going on now. And working as an indigenous health care coordinator for the local organization here, the Circle of Indigenous Nations Society, 
My wife deals with this stuff on a day-to-day basis. So this news has hit us quite hard. And as a father, um, as a parent who has lost custody of his child, uh, and my child lives overseas now, but you know, I still have visitation, I still have rights. So I can't, even though I've had that experience of my child for all intents and purposes being taken away, I can't even get close to imagining what it must be like to have your child forcibly taken and put into a residential school with the amount of abuse um, that happened in these places. So I just want to take a moment to share some quick facts on residential schools because for anyone listening that may not know this about Canada, I think it's really important that we we have this awareness and we take a moment and a pause and educate ourselves and find ways of taking action. So Indigenous children were forcibly taken from their homes by the RSMP. 150,000 Indigenous children were taken from their families. And 90 to 100% suffered some form of physical, emotional and sexual abuse. And there was actually, incredibly, 40 to 60% mortality rate in Indian residential schools. The first school was established in 1870, or in the 1870s. There were 130 of these residential schools. And now, of course, questions being asked, are there other mass graves at these other schools? And undoubtedly, there will be. And we're going to find out more. The last school closed in 1996. That's how recent. This isn't history. This is people are living this, you know, the still living the trauma of this experience. So, yeah, it's a sad, heavy end to a podcast, but I just have to take a moment to acknowledge and share this information. And I'm not finding the right words. I'm sure somebody could do a much better job, but I at least have to take this moment and breathe and share. Because I'm a parent. It just breaks your heart. You just cannot believe that this was even a thing in Canada. So next week, we'll be resuming regular programming. And I'll be joined by Jeremy Blumel from Squamish on the coast of Western Canada, who is a teacher and an avid climber. And I'll also be talking with debriefing, professional debrief with Catherine Williams. And we'll be talking specifically about sleeping and the issues that we have as parents around sleeping and what we can do, uh, you know, and some some top tips and tricks. But right now, I'm going to end with a minute silence and I'm going to ask you to stay with me for this next minute and just actually take a quiet moment to think of all of those children in the residential schools and the communities around Canada that have been massively impacted by this. And as a parent, just try and imagine what that might be like. And we'll see you next time.